0: This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, good morning, Memphis. You are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio, 91.7 FM. Our show is the program dedicated to conversations that celebrate the organization's initiatives and people that are reshaping Memphis for the better. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you by New Memphis, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to develop, activate, and retain the city's most important resource, its people. Your hosts today are myself, Anna Thompson, and Rebecca Daly.
1: Before we dive into this conversation about election season, we want to remind you to go vote. Early voting is open now through Saturday, September 30th. And if you can't swing it during this time frame, make sure to mark your calendar for Thursday, October 5th. Also coming up is our Celebrate What's Right luncheon coming up on October 17th at the Kent. The theme is Back to the Future. Memphis is a city with momentum, and we're taking a look at how our past can propel our community forward through the field of adaptive reuse. You can find out
0: more information about this event
1: at newmemphis.org slash events.
0: I'm super excited for the conversation today. We will be bringing in journalists from both the Daily Memphian and the Commercial Appeal to talk about the critical importance that local journalism has on our everyday life as a city citizen, but also how incredibly important it is in the run-up to a municipal election. So the journalist in me is just giddy with joy today. Joining us today, we have Samuel Hardiman, the enterprise and investigative reporter at the Daily Memphian. He has covered government as well as City Hall among his beats in journalism speak for the topics that he covers We also have Katherine Burgess, a reporter currently covering local government and religion for the Commercial Appeal. Please join us in welcoming Sam and Katherine to the studio as we discuss the importance of local journalism, particularly as we approach the municipal election coming up on October 5th. Thank you both for joining us today. Uh, Will you uh, get started and tell us a little bit about each of yourselves and the organization that you work for? We can get started with you, Sam.
2: Sure. Um, I'm Sam Hardiman. I'm from Rhode Island, originally educated at the University of Missouri. Go Tigers. That's Mizzou for people confused. And I work for the Daily Memphian, which is a relatively new online-only news outlet here in Memphis.
3: And I'm Catherine Burgess. I currently cover both Memphis city government and religion for the commercial appeal, which is our, uh, I guess you could call it uh, the legacy paper in town. Um, I also, I mean, I cover a little bit of everything. We're a small newsroom. So whatever kind of gets thrown in your direction, I uh, am usually happy to cover. There's a lot of variety, but my main beats are city hall and religion.
0: No small task for either of you. So thank you.
1: Out of curiosity, I'd, I'd love to understand as each of you are getting to know candidates um, in an election cycle through your interviews, what are you hoping not only to learn about them, but hoping to share with the community? What's your approach there?
3: I think it's been interesting this uh, moving up to this mayoral race because some of the candidates I've known for years. And then other candidates I'd never even met before they announced their campaigns and I started following them. Um, So it's been a lot of fun to learn new things about people I've known a long time, um, but then also learn new things about people I've never met before. Um, I think definitely I'm hoping to convey to readers um, these individuals, their plans for the city should they be elected, Um, but also a little bit of who they are, how they think about who they are. where they come from. There's always, I mean, every single person running has an interesting story.
2: Yeah, it's to build off what Catherine said. I think for me, it's it's honestly more of showing who they are as people and uh, sort of showing their their character and um, how they react to certain things. We did, uh, at least I did. I did three podcasts with uh, three of the leading mayoral candidates: Floyd Bonner, Paul Young, and Willie Harrington. And my goal. In those interviews and in the profiles I wrote about those three men, was not to uh, listen to their stump speech, which you can hear and you can log onto a website if you want to read about it. But instead, you know, give people a sense of their personalities and then what they're like under pressure. Um, you know, the pressure of Sam Hardman sitting across the table from you is nowhere near the pressure of the mayor's office, but it's at least something. And so, that was important for me as well.
1: In thinking about this particular election, it's notably historic. Sam, could you talk a little bit about what has stood out to you as a unique factor in getting to know these candidates?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the historic nature of it is that we don't have a, an incumbent, right? And it's been a long time in this city. I, I don't, I can't tell you how many years it's been. I think my colleague Bill Dries could, where we, since we've had an incumbent mayor. And so really because there is no uh, runoff, you don't need 50% of the vote. It's just the first person past the poll, the person with the most votes that's going to win. I think that's really added a dynamic to this race in terms of every candidate matters and every vote matters. And I think that that's, I think, informed Catherine's coverage. I think it's before my coverage for sure.
3: And if I can just jump in there off of what Sam said, I think it definitely stands out how there's just so many candidates, 17 people on the ballot, and I was speaking with the election um, administrator, Linda Phillips, and she told me she went back to the 60s um, looking at past mayoral races and for the most part could not find a ballot with this many candidates, with the exception of the 2009 special election when there were 25 mayoral candidates. So it's pretty unusual to have this many on the ballot. Um, and like Sam said, with no primaries, uh, everybody, everybody matters. Everybody can you know pull some votes from somebody else and, and sway who ultimately wins.
0: I'm curious for each of you, um, as a former journalist myself, what intrigued you both about local journalism and then what you're seeing as true in this particular election in the importance of local journalism?
3: Yeah, um, I think I particularly love local journalism because it really gets to the heart of things. So often what is covered in the national news starts at the local level. It was local journalists who were covering the death of Tyree Nichols, right? From the day it happened um, through everything that's happened since um, with national journalists following up on that local coverage. It's local journalists who are on the ground in the city every day talking to um, the people who actually live there every single day and not only talking to those people, but living there themselves. And I think there's just something very rich about that.
2: Yeah. To build off what Catherine said, there is everything is local, right? And 90% of what will affect Memphians' lives, and I say 90%, not scientifically, but just as a rule of thumb, is gonna come from local government. It's gonna come from the votes of the Memphis City Council. It's gonna come from the actions of the mayor. And I think in our society these days, we really view in this hyperpartisan age, we view everything as national politics. But at the end of the day, what really matters is are your streets paved? Are your lights on? And, you know, essentially, is the, the clean air that you're breathing? And most of that is coming at a local level. I think that really matters. And I think because we both live here in the city and we both experience city services every day ourselves, we sort of have a unique perspective on the city itself in a way that I, I don't think a national reporter covering, say, the Republican presidential primary, really has an understanding of what life is like in every city they're stopping in their little bus tour on.
3: Yeah, for sure. I think living here makes such a big difference. I mean, when you hear Memphians talk about the crime concerns, like I keep a steering wheel lock on my car uh, because I, you know, I've experienced concerns. Um, You know, I dealt with the power outages during a heat wave, just like probably every other Memphian did. Um, so we, I think, very viscerally understand a lot of the uh, experiences of Memphians and how that drives conversations about politics, how that drives different candidates' platforms, um, and how that may ultimately drive whoever winds up in office. Sam, you touched
1: on something, um, and then Catherine, you expanded on it, that you have personal experiences with the challenges that our city face faces. And also, that there is a personal affiliation with politics. It's something that people take very personally. What sort of challenges do you face in bringing ethical and non-biased reporting to the forefront, especially in an election cycle?
2: Sure. I think that's a—I a great question. I mean, to build off what, you know, Catherine and I were, I think, talking about a little bit there is like when they were rolling blackouts last year, we were here, we were affected. Right. Um, I think I've had my car broken into multiple times. Right, thankfully, nothing but a T-shirt's been stolen, but that's happened. And so you you do feel these visceral emotions, particularly like say when the power's out, you're frustrated. You're frustrated at Memphis Light, Gas and Water. And I think it's really important as a journalist to separate what is inconveniencing you today and, and maybe even affecting you today, and thinking about the bird's eye view of what people need to know and what is going to make them have more informed choices and more informed lives. I mean. Me personally, in this upcoming election, I probably won't vote for a single candidate that's on the ballot. Not because I don't think voting is important. I will go vote. The cat that's sitting next to me right now will probably get a write in vote. Go, Abby. But it to me is important not to go through the act of actually voting for a candidate that I've covered. Because if they don't win or they do win, I'm going to have this sort of sense in my heart as a sports fan, right? I voted for you or I didn't vote for you. And for me, that's sort of is the act of keeping a barrier between my professional life and my personal life in that way. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, Also in talking about how our, you know, our living here and our personal experiences do drive our understanding of some of the issues. I think we also have to be very aware of the fact that our experiences are not everyone's experiences. Um, I mean, we have to remember that we, You know, I don't have any um, home medical equipment that goes off when the power goes out. I can go get an Airbnb if I need to. Um, And we have to be just very aware that, you know, while our experiences do help us better understand, I think the issues that our experiences are not universal. Um, So I think journalists have to be very good at listening to the experiences of others. Um, I think what Sam said about voting is really important. I did not cover government until I moved here to Memphis. And I actually, um, I think Sam was the first reporter I ever heard say, oh, I don't vote in races, I cover. <laughs> um, and I started doing that myself after hearing that. I think that was such a good, um, good piece of advice, not necessarily for every journalist, but I think for some, it can be very useful. I mean, I think being unbiased can be just as, I mean, it involves things like thinking through, do I accept a hug? From a source, if I accept hugs, do I accept hugs from all sources? Do I let them buy me a coffee or not? And I think journalists have to just be very careful to set standards for themselves and keep up with those standards, um, as we just you know work with these people every day. And
2: and to build off, I think something that Catherine said about our experiences aren't everyone else's experiences. I think it's really important for us as journalists to also keep in mind that like we're some of the best informed people out there. That's sort of the nature of our job, right? And so thinking through, well, I think that this is silly because I know all of these facts. And I, you know, you read and you see people reacting on social media, and you're like, why are they reacting that way? This is silly. That they should know better. And then you think about it and you have to stop and say, Oh, wait, they don't spend all day in a city council meeting like me. They likely have never been to a city council meeting, right? They probably don't know who represents them. And so really trying to think what do average people and average Memphians really need to know. And when you're seeing, you know, maybe confusion about how government works, that could be a story because people probably need an explanation from local media that they trust.
3: Yeah. And jumping off of that, I often, I used to cover the county government. I covered county for about four years before moving over to city government. And the number of times I have seen people just not understand what falls to the county and what falls to the city is astounding. Um, And that, I mean, I might think, oh, gosh, people just don't know how their government works. But I mean, it's my job to tell them how their government works and to make sure people are informed of what falls to the city, what falls to the county and where there might be overlap. Um, And that's just such an important thing to realize. I think in order to realize some of that, we journalists have to be careful not to live in silos. It's easy to just hang out with other journalists and go to work and then go out for drinks with other journalists. But I think we have to really try to live in the city that we are in around people who are not all spending all their time in city hall. And um, that helps us really learn what, um, what just everyday people care about and how we can be of use with our knowledge
0: you've both brought up some really, really interesting realities of what it looks like to cover um, a government or politics kind of beat in 2023. And honestly, I hadn't thought of all the nuances of what that must mean to kind of keep your barriers up to remain unbiased. And as a consumer of the local media, it's really nice to know that that is being thought of and that you're very conscious in Making sure that your coverage is not only you know cutting edge and informative as a resource, but that you're doing the internal work of every little thing to make sure that you kind of remove the bias. It's very comforting.
2: Yeah, and one thing and that's really nice to say, saying. Uh, one thing I would like point out is like human beings are by nature imperfect machines, right? Like we, you know, I'm not gonna do everything right all the time, and in the questions that I ask and the lens that I look at. Through some, those are all subjective because it's from my lived experience and education. And so I think what Catherine and I we used to work together. We used to sit next to each other every day at the commercial appeal. And I do with my colleagues now, and I know she does with her colleagues now is is talk through things and and bounce things off one another because someone has a different perspective than you, and that perspective in certain situations may be better than yours. And you should really ask questions and not be certain because I think something this job really teaches you well is don't be certain about very much.
3: Hmm, That's so true. (laughs) Yeah, and I think bouncing again off of what Sam just said, um, we journalists need to accept um, when people call us out if we are not acting in an unbiased or writing in an unbiased manner. And sometimes that comes from your colleagues. Sometimes that comes from people at other news organizations. I mean, we, our job, a lot of our job is calling people out on things. And if we can't accept ourselves being called out when we mess up. Um, We've got a big problem there.
0: Yeah. Historically, um, the journalism has always functioned as the watchdog for government and for everything like that to make sure that any injustices are brought into the forefront. So I think, Catherine, that's a really good point to say that you have to be vulnerable enough to allow your own biases to be called on the carpet as well if you're doing it for others.
3: Mm -hmm. And I think uh, it's. It is important to remember. Of course, we're human beings. Of course, we have our own opinions. Of course, we have sources we like and sources maybe we don't like. But I think the being unbiased is a practice, and it is a um, a set of standards, and it is a way to go about writing. It doesn't mean us getting rid of our personal opinions. Um, I mean, for many journalists, it doesn't mean that they don't go vote. Um, but it's a manner of treating people fairly of of writing a specific way and of not putting that personal bias that everybody has into your work. And that does take a lot of work to get that right. Um, especially with a lot of help from colleagues.
0: Sam, um, you mentioned a minute ago how humans are imperfect machines and then Catherine, you kind of followed up with that. I'm curious what the role of AI is like, um, in covering really anything in local journalism, but particularly in local elections. Um, is it making your work harder? Is it making it easier? What is that kind of role in each of your respective newsrooms these days?
2: Yeah, I would say there's no role that AI has in the Daily Memphian newsroom. I don't think there's really a role that it, you know, I just left the commercial appeal eight months ago and things certainly could have changed, but I don't think there's a role it has necessarily in the commercial appeal newsroom at all. I, I would think, um, though there has been some AI generated content from Gannett. I, I would say mostly like as a journalist, we're sort of analog in a lot of ways. Like, definitely use code. Like some people definitely use code. Some people use Excel formulas to you know run data. But that's been around forever. I think where AI probably comes in the most in our work is. We both use a tool called Otter and Otter is a transcription service. And so when I'm interviewing a candidate, which I did about an hour before this call, um, I'm recording an Otter and that's transcribing for me. And so that's a huge like time saver. And it can be a bit of a crutch because you're maybe not taking as good of notes as you took when you were just relying on your um, digital tape recorder. And, you know, would have had to go through an entire recording in order to get every single quote. But that's, I think, to the extent of like the way I use AI, the way I see AI used is like sort of the everyday office tools that almost like pretty much any white collar worker would use and rely on. Right. I I don't think we use it for any sort of simplification of anything. And, and and I think real reporters, I think that those things are going to be very separate for a long time because AI and I'll stop rambling in a second here. But I was at City Hall yesterday um, watching the city council meeting. AI is never going to be able to watch a city council meeting the way an informed reporter can watch a city council meeting. And that, the same holds true for national politics and state politics. AI is never going to be able to do that. Someone really smart can maybe explain to me how they will, but I just don't see that ever happen.
3: Yeah, like Sam said, Otter has completely changed my life. Um, he also mentioned Gannett at making some stabs at, I guess, experimenting with AI in terms of how we think about AI, possibly writing stories or taking over writers' jobs. And Gannett is the parent company for the commercial appeal. And they did roll out a very brief um pilot project that basically had ai covering sports and they quickly canceled it because they said it didn't live up to their editorial standards and i think that kind of showed that we are perhaps just on the cusp of figuring out how ai is going to impact journalism because like like sam said AI can't cover a city hall meeting the way an experienced journalist can and also ai can't call a source and have an on background conversation and learn what is important and pull those pieces together the way an experienced journalist can. I think also, most importantly, AI cannot make um, ethical decisions and in a way that journalists have to. So I think we're going to find out a lot more about how AI impacts us, but I don't think we're really quite there yet.
2: Yeah. And and to build off what Catherine said about like the AI article that Gannett used for high school sports. Like this was for high school sports trying to essentially give you a game brief, which is the four paragraph summary that everyone was used to growing up with in their local paper. ESPN has done the same thing I've seen personally in the ESPN app trying to preview NBA basketball basketball games. And both are terrible because Mm. it doesn't know what inputs to use. And that's a huge part of this is like, Companies are going to experiment, but to Catherine's point, it's really about the inputs. Like, how would an AI even cover a city council meeting unless the minutes were entered into a machine after the fact, right? It's not sentient. It can't see. It can't hear.
1: In thinking about the personal and human connections that you have the responsibility of making as a journalist What role do voters play in driving your content, or does the community play in ideas for your coverage? Do people reach out to you and ask, you know, say, I want to learn more about this particular candidate. Can you highlight this area of their work for me, or is that something that you are just using your skills as a journalist to
3: distill? Oh, I think we definitely have a lot of people reach out to us, and we very much appreciate what they do. I know just in the course of this election season, I've had voters ask for um, like a comprehensive web page that lists all of our voter resources. And we created that. Um, I've had voters reach out with very specific questions like, I mean, how do I watch XYZ forum? Um, how do I register to vote? I don't have internet. Um, so how do I do this? How do I learn about this candidate? And um, we're able to help with that. Um and write about the things that people are actually asking us to write about.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, I like we love it. Like I love it when people email me. I love it when they give feedback, even when it's negative feedback. I mean I like it at the time, but I'll I'll take it and I'll learn from it. But also like I said this to some colleagues a couple of weeks ago. Like people are really smart, right? Like I don't think Catherine or not or I, despite as much time as we spend doing our jobs, think we're an expert at everything related to government or elections. And there are people who are really informed that have been around these things or just normal people and they can really help us understand stuff. And then for example, when we were covering um, residency and whether or not two candidates, Floyd Bonner and Van Turner should be on the ballot and whether or not Memphis had a five-year residency requirements to be mayor of Memphis, people would reach out about our coverage, at least to me, which was really technical. It was really in the weeds of what the city charter said. And people would be like, well, wait, back up. Why is this really happening? And that really informed like some of the articles I wrote sort of after the fact, sort of explaining the politics that led to essentially the city charter being evaluated by a Shelby County chancellor, a judge. And so really, I use it as like, if someone's asking me a question about my coverage, and if they don't understand th- something, I I use it as an opening to do more because clearly I didn't explain it well enough.
3: Yeah, and I think also neither Sam nor I have lived in Memphis that long. And that's the case for a lot of the journalists here. And it's the people of Memphis who can inform us about historical context. Um, who can tell us if, you know, maybe we've written a story where there's a whole lot more going on behind the scenes that even us spending all of our time in City Hall aren't aware of. Um, and I'm I'm always appreciative of that.
0: I feel like you both hit on how important context is and how important it is to be so well informed. And we run into the same kind of issue y'all do a lot of times is that we spend our days going through a lot of this stuff. And if we're still confused, I'm like, geez, I wonder you know, what somebody else might be feeling. Um, so that does inform some of our stuff as well. I'm curious, as far as hot button kind of topics go, you touched on kind of residency early on, and then there've been other hot button issues as well. Do hot button topics lead coverage, or would you say that coverage of a topic tends to make it a hot button topic?
3: I think it can be a little bit of a chicken and the egg problem. <laughs> um I do think hot button topics lead coverage. We are trying to write what the readers want to read. And that often is hot button topics. With that said, though, I think there can be topics that are not um, given enough attention. And then when we write about it, they become hot button topics. I sometimes think a little bit about uh, the election of Donald Trump in 2016 and how the national media got a lot of criticism for focusing on him a lot as a hot button topic, so to speak. And um, some people attributed that attention with um, him winning the presidency. Um, and there may be some merit to that, but at the same time, if the media had not covered him, they would have really had egg on their faces when he did win. And that would have been ignoring a huge segment of the voter population. Uh, so yeah, it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg issue. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think, yeah, to, to, to kind of dwell on the 45th president for a second, um, the, uh, he is the 45th, I believe he is, um, was the 45th, is to Catherine's point, right, I think national media really underestimated how much, and it's been well documented, right, how much what the former president was saying as a candidate was resonating with a broad base of people. And they covered him like a controversial figure and didn't ask themselves, well, why do people like find this message appealing? Right. And they sort of covered those people as fringe when really there were a lot of people that felt that way. And so to like kind of come back to the local here, I think that sometimes journalists uncover facts that make things make people talk about things. Right. That's definitely been the case, you know, ongoing. I'm getting asked questions right now about some of my reporting regarding the stadiums and how the city is going to allocate money for FedEx Forum or Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. And, you know, some of my reporting has sort of dwelled on the fact of how much money did the city actually receive and is there enough money? And that sort of led to more and more coverage and more and more talking about it. And it is a chicken and the egg issue because like at the end of the day, and it was the case before online metrics existed and it is the case now, People vote with their feet and people want to read interesting, compelling stories, whether it's online or in print. And so journalist's job, I think, is, you know, I think the question is really about how do we relate to the consumer? We're in the, we're in the click business. We are in the readership business. That doesn't mean we write clickbait, but it, it, it means that if, I, if I'm writing a story that I think is super fascinating, but 25 people read it, I'm not doing my job. And and I think that's where I come from. And I, th- I think Catherine comes from the same perspective of we want people to read our stuff. And so we really have to try to plug into what they care about, not necessarily what I care about.
1: That makes me think of the the old adage, no press is bad press. And obviously, there's a lot more nuance behind that statement. Um, I'm curious for each of you in your reporting thus far um, leading up to the October election, what, in your opinion, are the hottest button topics for this particular election?
3: Well, I think crime and infrastructure are the two big ones. Um, that's what people have been talking about at every mayoral debate and forum. That is what that's what's been on the television ads for candidates both at the city council level and at the mayoral level. Um, people are interested in keeping the lights on and keeping the crime down, um, and have a lot of different ideas of the ways to do that.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's definitely crime. I don't think there's really another issue in the city that that stands next to crime in terms of the way it dominates um, just Memphian psyche, and and so I think that's been the hot button issue. I think that there has been, um, and there conti- will I think continue to be in our city a discussion of what we're doing for young people. I mean, kids and what the programming they have after school is, and where does city government, who is no longer in the education business besides some funding for universal needs-based pre-kindergarten, what role does the city government, because most kids that go to Memphis Shelby County Schools live in Memphis, right? should they play in education? I think that issue has certainly risen more in the past year and part of this election than I think many people expected. I would love to see like real hard polling data on it. I'm probably not going to get it, but I think that really matters because I think there's a lot of discussion in this community beyond the fear of crime of, well, how do we prevent young people from going down the wrong path? And I think that's something that's really coming up now in a way I didn't expect.
0: Kind of piggybacking off both of your um like what are hot button issues in this local election? Do you have thoughts about single issue voting or voting styles here in Shelby County and the city of Memphis?
3: Well, I think there are single issue voters. Um, I, yeah, I think they're there. And I think they um care a lot about the issues that, you know form their their core concerns
1: for a single issue voter. What direction would you push them in to to seek resources for understanding the issue that they're most passionate about? Obviously, local journalism. But, you know, what questions would you encourage them them to ask as they're reviewing candidates?
2: Yeah, I would I would encourage any voter, whether single issue, many issue, flipping a coin voters. um, I would encourage them to read the websites. I would encourage them beyond local journalism to look up some of really the basic facts of the community, right? Like what is happening right now? What's the crime rate? What is the crime rate been, right? And those are all things that maybe can be difficult to find online, but with them some time and some experience, you can find them. And I think, you know, people should really, before they take a narrative from any candidate, right? They should really think about what is reality and then what is that narrative on the reality of the candidates offering? And sort of try to compare those two things, because politics, as someone pointed out to me on the on the X or the Twitter, whatever we call it these days this week, is emotional. And so I think one of the things that we as political journalists are sort of tasked with doing is giving you the bird's eye view of here are the emotional narratives that are playing out. Here's the reality and where they diverge and where they intersect.
3: Mm-hmm. I would agree with all of that. Definitely, I would advise any voter to look at a candidate's experience, and not just what they list on their resume, but what they have actually accomplished or attempted to accomplish that they didn't accomplish. Um, and then also, I think just looking at whether what candidates, whether candidates are are telling the truth, whether what they're saying is accurate, whether what they're saying is fair, um, and a lot of that can be done by watching watching the various debates and forums that have occurred, a lot of that can be done on candidates' websites and a lot of that can be done by reading the many articles written about all these different candidates.
1: Related to the clicks, you mentioned that you, you know, journalism involves data collection these days. Do you have any understanding of how engaged people are in your publications during this election cycle versus how they are for the rest of the year or in previous election cycles more engaged less engaged about the same
2: um so uh from my perspective i was not at the daily Memphis in 2019 the last time we had a mayoral election so and and i haven't actually looked i, I think i may have access to it um in the data from that time and what did well um, but like I in real time and could pull it up while we're talking in real time can see what's being read on the Daily Memphis website. Catherine has the same access to the same software for the commercial appeal. And so yeah, we see that in real time. And what I would say is I definitely and I think Catherine would agree is people interest peaks as we get closer and closer to the election. When we were writing about mayoral issues in June, it was really the die hard like readers as well as like the political class that was really reading these articles. And as we've gotten, I think, closer to the election, I think the more of the average reader is really plugging into this.
3: Yeah, I also don't know really how to compare as I was not leading our our city um, coverage in 2019. But um, I mean, just pulling up uh, the The um, software we talked about, which is called Parsley, at least for the CA, I assume that's That's the same. Yeah. Parsley. I mean, the top um, story that is being read right now that I worked on is the Memphis Voter Guide. Um, And that hasn't always been the case, but it's definitely been creeping up there as we get closer to um, closer to the actual um, election. Other like several of the top stories, they're almost all mayor's race stories. Um, so there's definite, definite interest.
0: For both of you, um, we've talked earlier in our conversation about how to eliminate, you know, as much as we can of our biases and unconscious bias and things like that. But Memphis is such kind of a people person town and who you know and how you get access to people and things like that. So I'm curious how you try to manage or balance the needing to form meaningful relationships with people, um, but also keeping your guard up in that way to remove those biases?
3: Mm -hmm. It can be kind of hard, to be honest. (laughs) Um, I know I do try to keep very clear distinctions between things that are part of my personal life and part of my work life. Um, I have, and I try to keep people in categories in my brain. Like this person is a source. This person is a friend. (laughs) And if someone goes from being a source to a friend, they cease being a source. Um, and I don't use my friends as sources. They might give me tips, but I'm not going to use them as sources. Um, so you have to just have those very clear categories in mind, which sometimes can make you feel a little bit inhuman. Um, and you, you don't ever want to be. Don't ever want to treat anybody impersonally or anything like that. I mean, you need to treat everybody like a person and like someone who you are in relationship with, whether that is a source relationship or a friend relationship. So it's a difficult balance to walk. But I think just keeping those categories clear in your brain is is really important.
2: Yeah, I agree with everything Catherine said there. I think that look, and and I think this is something like you can be friendly with sources. Like I definitely have shared laughs with sources, made jokes with sources. And like that can all happen. And that's all part of being human and, you know, building the relationships you need. But I would tell you, and I think every a lot of people in Memphis politics would tell you that like when there's news, I'm going to cover it. And it doesn't matter if we've been friendly or haven't been friendly. It doesn't matter if you've helped me out, you know, with information on a story or not. If there's news and it involves you and it may not be flattering, I'm gonna deal with it. And I'm gonna cover the news. And like I think anyone that deals with Catherine or myself very clearly knows that they're talking to a journalist and you know what we're going to do and the way we're going to proceed on news. And so, you know, not to sound so like black and white about it, but, but that's how it is. And, and so you can be convivial and you should be convivial and you should be kind and you can ask somebody how they're doing and really care about it. And at the same time, cover the news and cover news that isn't flattering about them.
3: Yeah, I remember once I had a local elected official say something to me to the effect of, "We're cool, we're friendly," but I know that if I did something bad, you would write about it. And I was like, "Yeah, that's that's about where I want to be. I want to be cool. I want to be friendly, um, but also like you need to know I'm going to write about it if I have to write about it." Um, and I think the best relationships are with people who really understand that and understand your role as a journalist.
1: I'm curious about this particular. You know, time period without favoring a particular candidate or issue, what are each of you most hopeful about with this election?
2: Yeah, I guess I'll go first in that sense of what I'm hopeful for is that we get a group of people because, and I don't know what who that group of people would be, but in terms of Memphis City Council members and the mayor and the administration that mayor creates. That are willing, that's what I hope for, that are willing to work with one another. They're going to disagree, they're going to come from different walks of life, they're going to be black, they're going to be white, they're going to be conservative and liberal, but that are willing to see each other as people. That's what I hope for. Because I think in this community, that's what matters most is that we see each other not as other, not as the person who lives in that neighborhood or this neighborhood, but as Really, as people who are in the city, because I've, I've said to sources that are complaining about one another on the phone. And if they listen to this, they'll know who I'm they know who I'm talking about that. You know, they were complaining about one source to me. The other source called me up, complains to me about the other source. I said to both of those people, I said, I'd love to lock the two of you in the room and just let you guys hash it out because you both really care about this city and you care about the city more than most people. And and I think that's really what I'm hoping for, is people that will see each other as people and people that really care about the city. And I think most people do that.
3: Yeah, I definitely second what Sam said, but also I'm very hopeful. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm optimistic, but I am hopeful that this election will be an opportunity for more Memphians to let their voices be heard. Voter turnout has historically been so low. And I'm just hoping with all the attention these different races are getting with having all the city council seats on the ballot and only two uncontested with having 17 mayoral candidates. I'm hoping that won't turn people away from voting, um, but will actually encourage people to really learn about the issues, to really learn about the candidates and then actually get out to the polls. Um, because it's so important that these people who are in elected office actually you know represent the people they serve. And that's going to come from people voting.
1: Catherine, you mentioned low voter turnout being something that is pretty normal here. Do you have any understanding of what our voter turnout rates typically are and how that's comparative in a maybe a national election cycle versus
3: local or regional? I don't know that off the top of my head. Sam, do you know that?
2: I don't know the the rate at the top of my head, but it is local elections historically, I think is safely say have been lower than presidential elections, certainly.
0: What would each of you say as advice to Memphians to get them out to the polls, whether it's during early
3: voting or on election day? Um, I might say go to our Memphis Voter Guide on thecommercialappeal.com. And then also, um, I know the Election Commission often talks about making a plan before you go to vote. Uh, A few polling uh, places have changed. Find out where you're supposed to go. Find out what times um, the polls are open. Um, Decide who you're going to vote for beforehand. Um, If you use a paper ballot, flip it over and make sure you get both sides. Um, and, and also just like, make sure you have a ride or a way to get to the polls. I think just sometimes those very practical things are are really important to remember.
2: Yeah, I would say utilize early voting if you're worried about election day on October 5th, which is a Thursday. Um, you know, as someone who came here from via Oklahoma, but through Rhode Island where we don't have robust early voting, honestly, it's a godsend, the ability to, vote, not just on election day and to not have to go to your polling place. I think that's a really big thing. Is just if you're not certain about October 5th through the 30th of September, use early voting.
0: You hit on this with Rebecca's question a minute ago, but what are you each most excited about post-election? So, aka, when our elected officials, their real work begins.
3: Well, I'm excited about taking a vacation, (laughs) but in addition to that... (laughs) In addition to that, I'm excited to just get to know a new mayor. Um, I'm excited to see them put their team together um, and to see um, what unique stamp they put on city government. Um, I No, I really have no idea who's gonna win. um, And I look forward to knowing. um, And then I look forward to helping um, the public know what that new mayor is doing um, and how they're trying to impact the city.
2: Yeah, I I sort of look forward to talking to some voters like throughout early voting on election day and hearing why they voted the way they did because there's a lot of people that talk to Catherine and I that are sort of in that political class that have a lot of theories on that. There's, you know, limited polling as to what, what people feel but like actually talking to real people is really revealing and I think we'll give some clarity about why the city took the direction it took with this election and then after the election, with that, you know, firmly in mind of why voters did what they did, you know, were they right? And, and, and what, you know, because I think we see, and, and this is going to get kind of meta here, but like, we're not going to know the impact of this election season until three, four years from now, just like, we don't really know what we decided. We didn't know what we decided in 2015 and 2019 as a city until now. And, and, you know, these, these. Events will change and dictate what the next leader of the city, the next mayor of the city will have to do. And so it's going to be really, I think, fun to see um, a new administration, like Catherine said, sort of navigate the circumstances that they're handed. Because, you know, just like in the White House, you know, most presidents would tell you after the fact is like, you don't really get to decide what happens. You're sort of, you know, events dictate to you. I think most mayors would tell you the same thing is events are going to dictate what decisions you make.
0: So this is the part of the um, interview, Sam, I think you're more familiar with it maybe than Catherine, um, where we do kind of a lightning round. So kind of just quick answers. These are more fun. It's not we're not going to put you in the hot seat too much. So first off, um, would you rather work on a story 30 minutes before a deadline or have six months to work on the same story six months
2: 30 minutes
0: (laughs) I love the difference there would you rather have to give up your otter transcription service or your parsley um, back website information parsley
3: parsley can go away
2: yeah, I don't I do need to know, actually, if people are reading this stuff, all the stuff I said about people voting with their feet. No, I, I don't want to do more work than I do now with transcription, for sure.
0: <laughs> yes, back in the dark ages, I had to transcribe my own, so y'all are lucky ducks.
1: <laughs> okay, for both of you, print or digital? Mm. Am I allowed to ask a
3: question about the question? Sure, we'll allow it. Are we talking about for us as consumers or us as producers of content?
1: Since you asked the question, I'm curious about both. As a consumer,
3: print. As a producer, digital.
2: Yeah, ditto what Catherine said. I I love reading, um, print. I love reading books. I don't like Kindles, um, though I have one. I, it would be nearly impossible to live and have done my job in the analog era of like print only. It would have been really hard.
0: And last but certainly not least, where can our listeners go to learn more about each of your respective organizations and the coverage that y'all are putting out?
2: Marshallappeal.com uh, com.
0: Thank you both so much for joining us today. I know y'all are hard at work and we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedules to join us and talk about the importance of local journalism um, every day of the week, but also particularly in an election cycle.
3: Thank you so much for having us.
2: Thanks so much.
1: Bye. Independent Bank is celebrating 25 years of sharing your stories, building your dreams, and serving you heroically. Find out how iBank can help you achieve your financial dreams at i-bankonline.com. Member FDIC.